You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Alrighty, everybody, welcome to CKX's podcast. Today is such a blessed day. I get to have my friend back with me, Aaron Black. Aaron, how are we doing? We're doing good, Nathan. Thanks for having me back. Great. Oh, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's very fun. I've done a, a number of like repeat guests this year. And so it's, it's always really fun. I think you have a, you know, it's a little bit easier. You got the chemistry kind of going already if you've already recorded <laughs> together before. So it's really nice to to deal with people you've recorded with before. So thanks for coming back. Yes, thanks for having me. And as we were just talking about before this, you've done the most prep for anybody's day was ever done for me <laughs> on a podcast. I never come on and never, I didn't have to take a word for the, the podcast outline today. You did it all. <laughs> yes, it was, I just really amped about every time coming on here. So it's just going to be it. a lot of prayer and just had to give it to you. <laughs> Love to hear it. Yeah, I think I think we have four podcasts in this, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, because yeah. this is a uh, it's a thirty to forty five minute read um, with your notes here. But like, is he getting my future book, or is he getting a podcast? Right. Yeah. This is, yeah. This is a great book outline. I would yeah. I would give you that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, but this I mean, it makes it easy. We can do a, you know part two, part three to this one. Right. You know, in the, in the coming months. And so that's uh, the mindset. <laughs> That's right. So how about any updates you want to give any big life updates since the last time you're on the podcast? Let's see. I'm still in my third year as a focus missionary. So that's been yeah. great. I think one that we can share in is we both got a puppy. Right. <laughs> we, <laughs> we both did. got a puppy and that's been the crazy. joys and struggles of, yeah, of having a puppy. Yes. So I got a new puppy. Her name's Darby. She's a German shepherd. Love it. She's great, but she's crazy. So I feel that. Yeah, that's that's a big one. <laughs> it is. It is. And uh, what do you feel like? How, what has been uh, maybe a surprise high or low of, of puppy ownership? Mm, puppy life. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, high is just puppies are just so cute. <laughs> Not to yeah. sound like, but they're just so fun and like training them and they running are. around with them and all that. But the low is like, yeah, they're, they're literally all over the place. So you yeah. gotta, you gotta be on your toes. I have two other dogs too. So getting them all to like each other is a yeah, whole nother thing, but yeah, they, it, it, 
it was cool. It was like a grace, not to stretch this with the whole dog mom thing, but it's like, it really was like toddler, like trying to do work. And then it's like, Oh, get off the fireplace. Stop eating that. Like, right. <laughs> just different things like that. So it's it fun. It, it, it brings, it brings energy to the house for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I always say it's kind of like a training wheels for parenthood. It's obviously much less significant. It's much less substantial, um, right. but it does give you, especially, you know, like in this time of engagement, it's been interesting of just like sharing responsibility and like, who's going to even like take time to play with her or distract her while the other one is doing something important. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, has been, yeah, there is, there's a lot of interesting stuff to it. And I think that you uh, like people always like, and people warned me and I had family and friends or, you know, think I was crazy or criticize the decision to get her, you know, a few months out from the wedding and then hit height of wedding planning and all this stuff. But like, it's amazing to me. My biggest surprise I would say has been, and this is not a podcast about puppy ownership. Um, even though it's turning <laughs> into one, my biggest surprise I think has been just like, there's, there's such beauty in raising your level of responsibility. Right. Mm-hmm. And even all the things I told you before, trying to write a book, trying to do a hundred podcasts, trying to do all these other things. Like it is, frustrating at times, but very rewarding and, um, just fruitful. I would say to have to stop and take her out mm-hmm. or to have to stop what I'm doing. And just like the willingness to be interrupted, you know, it's such a good Christian virtue. Um, mm. I don't know what if interruptibility, maybe we can make that a word and virtue <laughs> in our lifetimes. Uh, and it's not one that I talk about very often because I talk about like high achievement and like taking a lot of responsibility and ownership and getting after it. Right. But there is something to that. And, and I think that that's one of the biggest differences between secular excellence and, and Catholic excellence is you have to be willing to be interrupted, to be willing to stop and talk with the homeless person or to stop and talk with people after mass and to make space for those things and make space for a yeah. surprise stops and adoration on your way home from whatever it might be from work, right? Um, just because you feel the calling. And she's really trained me in that, you know, to I'm walking by and she, if she's laying down, she rolls over, you know what I mean? And she's like, <laughs> how about a little love, you know, uh, get this, give this belly some attention. And, uh, and it just brings me joy, you know, even if I'm busy, even if I'm flustered, um, most of the time, obviously, you know, we're still working and growing on patience, but that right. I think is like a, a beautiful part to it that a lot of the, and I think it's been beautiful in preparing for family life, preparing for marriage that the people who thought it was crazy or a stupid idea didn't understand um, and how much more Luna has helped me to be prepared, I think, for uh, for marriage even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. might sound silly, but it is real preparation. Yeah. And I love that, that letting your life be inconvenienced. And that's such a quality yeah. of Jesus. It's such a quality of him. So, exactly. And even how he pursues our hearts, like, will we allow the Lord to inconvenience us? So, yeah. And there's saying. and not just that, too, but you have to be willing if you have a busy life like we do, like you have to be willing to inconvenience other people, too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which is just part of like, even when you have kids, like part of why people don't have kids, well, who's going to watch me? Like you have to have this kind of like village mentality and build a community and develop the friendships and stuff that are going to help you when you're gone. Or when, you know, that was one of our biggest things is like, who's going to take care of during the honeymoon or I travel, you know what I mean? For work and to speak and stuff. And it's like, who's going to take care of the dog? And it's like, well, we have to get that in place first. Like, don't be, you know, irresponsible with it. But at the same time, like, it's okay to ask a friend to do that, that you would watch theirs. You know what I mean? You would go back mm-hmm. and forth and you rely on each other and you share that responsibility and that burden. I think that's so important. Um, and we have to grow in that too. You know, the willingness to right. inconvenience others because there's no living the Christian life without inconveniencing other people or without being inconvenienced yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you get angry and impatient every time it happens, then you're not doing this thing right. Mm-hmm. You know? Amen. 
So I don't know where that, that came from. I just want to ask you about your puppy. Uh, but thank you for sharing and getting me on my soapbox about dog it. ownership and uh, being inconvenient. So, um, you know, since you since you created this, why don't you introduce the topic to us today, Aaron, of what you'd like to talk about? Thanks. Great. So I've been on a high with honesty and just this whole concept of healing in itself as an umbrella term, but the first step being honesty with ourselves and just how that is the catalyst into so many aspects of healing. And that is the building block that we have to jump off of before we enter into anything. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I think it is so important, you know, and that's another, this, I mean, I guess that is kind of the theme of this today's episode is, you know, talking about things I don't normally talk about. And I think that Mm -hmm. healing is one of those things that gets often forgotten, you know, Um, I, I often will tell people, you know, that in the midst of all the things we have going on, there's certain responsibilities that you can't stop while you're trying to treat your wounds, right? Mm -hmm. Like you still need to continue praying. You still need to continue to show up for your family, for your work, your responsibilities, your big and little vocation, big, big V and little V vocation. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's not important. Right. Right. And it doesn't mean that at once that battle is over, I always use the war analogy, right? Like if you get shot in the leg first, first level of, of, of aid is always self-aid, right? So like mm-hmm. you put the tourniquet on yourself and you can keep fighting, like you, you do that. And that's when you're in the midst of battle, you're getting shot at, you can't expect things to just stop and halt and stop your whole life um, for that, right? So if you're in medical school, or if you're in, you know, if you're deployed in the military or if you're just, you know, a focused missionary or if you're um, working any job, right? Like anything that we're doing that like has value and matters, which is most of us and all, pretty much all of mm-hmm. us, right? You might have time periods like Christmas break or like the summer break, maybe, or, um, you know, for me, like I had a a good time off during Christmas break where you can do like concentrated periods of focused healing and really slow down and focus on yourself and your relationship with God and allowing him to heal you. But it doesn't mean you can just stop. But I don't talk enough about what it actually looks like to stop and heal. Right. Yeah. And it's the importance too of like, it can't be put on the back burner. I think often there's this misconception that it's like, oh, it will just happen. Like, I'll just be healed from these things or I'm fine. And it's just not true. Like it's to actually capitalize on places where there is more concentrated time. Like, yes, there's day in and day out places and things that we're committed to. And there's going to be natural healing in itself through, through that, but doing things that are intentionally coming towards your healing and not avoiding it. And I think that's like the whole honesty part too. I love how you used, a war uh, analogy, because that's something that I talk about too. It's like, if, if a soldier doesn't aid to their wound in that moment and they just ignore it, they're going to die. Like, yeah, if if there's just a denial of what just happened in the wound that you're experiencing, Mm. you're going to die. And I think that's often what we do um, for many reasons, which we'll, we'll dive into in the podcast, but you know, if you're bleeding out and you deny that you're bleeding out, you're still going to bleed out. hundred so. percent. Yeah. It's just a reality. And it is, it is, yeah, it's such a big deal. And I think men obviously are especially susceptible to it, I think, but both, both, you know, both sexes do it, uh, you know, ignore their wounds and just continue to, to live on. Um, but it is just, yeah, it is just that foolish, you know, to just like ignore it and keep moving. And it is like, I mean, it's funny. Cause like even talking about this, like the idea of healing wounds, all this stuff, like, gets me like mildly uncomfortable, you know? And I feel like I've read about it and talked about it and thought about it a lot. And it's still like, even just like talking about it with you today, um, gets me like, yeah, just like mildly, I like kind of don't like it, you know? 
um, <laughs> but I also think that there's this need to um, like, the, but I, I view it as that like true masculinity or true Christianity, you know, like you take the courage to face those things, mm-hmm. you know, me not liking it doesn't mean I'm not going to acknowledge it. But the other thing that I thought of when you just said it too, and I know you probably will agree with this, um, feel free to not, but a lot of times we can learn to do that um, on an individual scale from the communal scale of our families. Mm-hmm. So like families who have a lot of shit going on and like things are just like rugged and they just like sweep it under the rug and like people come over, they go out to the grocery store or whatever. And it's like, everything's fine. <laughs> you know? And it's like, that's how it's like, okay. So that's how you cope with problems. When things are not well, you just act as though they are. And then you take that kind of communal, you know what I mean? A domestic church example, um, you know, the first society, and then you just, you internalize that as that's how I work as an individual too. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There And there's so much from the way you're coming. Yeah. The way people are raised in family or their childhood mm-hmm. that become actual barriers to healing and being honest. So it's like just recognizing your needs. Like we are needy beings and that's <laughs> right. We, we are needy and we deny that so much. And it's, yeah. you know, I can talk about my family, like, my family is what a strength of ours is like, yeah, we, you know, we get, we get things done and we, we get, we get after it. So, and we, we've all had that, like this, like going forward, get it done. Um, hard workers, like it's such a great quality, but I think something that was neglected in that is our needs. So it's like putting things on the back burner, putting things that, um, yeah, need to be addressed to the side and it's, it, it will catch up on you. Um, so, and I think, and I think that's a common experience for families. Like there's, there's something, th- there's things that we experience or go through, whether through, through ch- yeah, childhood and growing up that we agree to like a lie. Yeah. Um, for example, yeah, I'm not, I can't be needy. And then so many things start from that moment forward. So it's like, and you're, you're building all the, so many things off of that, that very live, I can't be needy. So yeah, yeah, that's like a whole, there's so much in that, but, um, yeah, just focusing and looking at the ways that we numb and cope with things and how we defend that too. And that's just interesting and being able to ponder that. For sure. Yeah, it is. And I I mean, we, I know we've had some good conversations about that in our you know, familial experience and stuff like that. And um, maybe we, we could talk about this a little bit later of just like, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts and, and to hear what you're willing to share of like the courage it takes to um, bring that up. You know what I mean? Like bring that up to your family um, and, and talk about those things. But first, I think we should go back into the denial and some of the notes that you have here on, on denial, I think are really good. And I love the, the scripture verse um, that you share. Uh, do you want to read it? Or do you want me to? Yeah, I can read it. So for denial, it's denial just being a protection mechanism. Um, and again, like we we're talking about before, it's if we if we don't look in the face what's actually happening, it doesn't disappear. So the scripture that I was praying with with this is Matthew 7, 24 to 27. And it's everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. 
the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And I just think that's so piercing for me and this image that I pray with often of healing and just referencing like excellence. Like we have to be honest about the foundation that we are building on. So healing is like building a new home. It's like you've, yeah, you've said yes to this plot of land you're building a new home and you have to be honest about the conditions of that land in order to build a foundation on it, to build a life. So, and if not, there's going to be long-term issues. There's going to be unnecessary pain. There's going to be a shaky foundation. And yeah, I was asking, my brother builds houses for a living. And I was like, what's the number one thing you have to do? And he said, the first step is you have to survey the land and make sure it's buildable. So the builder being God, he's surveying our land and he's doing whatever he can to make that land ready to build a home on to eternity. So it's like in a very real way, it's like we're testing the soil to make sure it's not contaminated. We're cutting down trees and digging up roots of stumps that aren't supposed to be there. We're seeing the elevations of the land to make sure it's grounded. There's just, there's a bunch of things before the first step of laying the concrete, which is the most foundational part of your life. So it honestly is the beginning and it's, we have to start there. And if we're not honest about that, everything falls just like scripture said. Right. Yeah, it's so powerful. And I think you start to realize in that too, that like a denial of your wounds is really just denying yourself the uh, the grace of God and, and the power of God in your life. You know, it's similar to two analogies that come quick with that are like the denial of sin in your life. You don't go to confession. And so you don't receive God's mercy. Or if you think about like the time, uh, you know, when Jesus was walking this earth, like if the if one of the blind men or one of the deaf or one of the lepers had been like, no, I'm fine. You know, like God, God didn't go around forcing his healing upon people and he doesn't do that today either. And so walking around like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. Whatever is, is one of the things that is really, it's really, it's so wild how like it can be really prideful and selfish. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, with our experience of, of, you know, being in your twenties is such an interesting time, right? Because you get to see a lot, you're still like your childhood's still fresh enough that you can remember a lot of the stuff. And you're also becoming an adult and forming yourself in those years, typically between 18, 25, 18 and 30, where you're going to become the, the husband, wife's father, mother that you're going to be. And so those of us, I think there can be this like animosity almost always for those of us, you know, who have taken the time to try to heal a lot of our wounds, wounds and then experience or see what could be parents. It could be grandparents, aunts and uncles friends, parents, you know, many adults who are 50 plus who have not taken the time to try to heal from their wounds and have just walked around in denial and frankly are, are pretty massive assholes in some capacity. And you're like, <laughs> you don't have to be like, you did, this is, this is avoidable. You know what I mean? Like that, that is to me is one of the most difficult things to face with family members, friends, you know, friends, parents, and watching them get wronged and deal with all this stuff you know, when you're talking to your friends and people you love, or even just people on the internet, you know what I mean? Like when, when people DM me on Instagram and will share their family struggles or whatever it is, it's like, man, like people don't have to suck that bad. And especially people who are in the church, like, you know, you hear these healing stories, these miracles that God performed and you see them since then are still happening to this day, physical healings and, and miracles, you know, but also people who are drug addicts or um, had severe depression or were suicidal or were alcoholics or whatever, you know what I mean? Anger management mm-hmm. issues um, that have just been transformed. And it's like, why could that not be you? There's a sense of pride, either thinking that you don't need it because you're, you're good enough 
or that like you're so special that like God wouldn't take the time to to heal you. And like, it's like, dude, you're not special in either direction. <laughs> you mm-hmm, know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You need to just yeah. embrace it. And, it. and it's so, it's so tough and it's such a sensitive, yeah, it's such a sensitive topic too, because it's like, there's such a stigma tied to, and, and that's been like softened nowadays too, but especially for older generations, like there's such a stigma right, tied right. to like needing help or like, Oh, for needing sure. someone in the neediness just I, I think neediness is a huge just going back on that but like neediness is a huge thing that's been stifled and so it's like often these concepts because yeah. it's we yeah. sit with that it's like why do people not seek healing and it's like these very set in the ways are like shame like just extreme shame yeah. the reality because it's like they might come off as this like no I'm good I'm fine but it's like the truth because you know I was there I know I'm only 24 but it's like when people talked about healing, I was like, oh yeah, I'm good. Wait, why do people, why do people talk about it so much? Why are Catholics so obsessed with yeah. healing? And I'm like, I'm good. My life's great. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, That's so funny. yeah, you just, you just don't know until you, until you see that. And there's so much shame in that of like so many lies tied to that. So yeah. a lot of generational things and even again, it's just like, it's going to happen at some point. I, I often hear a lot of people who, yeah, if they don't address their faith or healing in college, it's oh, okay, it will come. Okay, now I have a job. I'm work like all these things. Oh, now I'm married. Oh, now I'm raising kids. Oh, now now I'm in my 60s and there's still things from when I was 10 years old that are disrupting my yeah. <laughs> And it's like that's the reality. Go into a counseling session. There you're returning yep. to your childhood. You're returning to a place where you agreed to something and started believing a lie and now it's been compounding for 40 plus years. Like that's hard stuff and it's there's just like a very hardness of heart and all oh, those people. I, yeah, I just want to love them. <laughs> but like, right. It's just, it's very tough. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, the neediness thing, it's something that I used to like, uh, you know, fight against uh, older generations in my family, let's okay. say um, about, cause it would just like blow my mind. You know, like I've always anticipated like when I'm 80, when I'm 60, damn, when I'm 60, 70 years old, you know what I mean? Like I'm not moving a chair. I'm not <laughs> picking up anything <laughs> from the backyard. You know what I mean? It's like you have family to do stuff like that for you. And there's a reason for it, right? Like your body's not the same and you have young people in your family that are capable. And it would just blow my mind to watch my family members like be proud of doing things that they shouldn't be doing because they wanted to like force their independence, you know? And I'm like, how much does that filter down through the family that is not a cohesive, dependent, loving, you know, like thriving family unit because everybody has to be independent because they're watching you and you don't realize, you know, how much those negative behaviors and mindsets really do trickle down and just affect everybody. Um, So I think that's really sad to watch. Um, But the other thing that you made me think of too, is something that I try to stress uh, in the realm of seeking excellence that I don't think I hit on enough is like, we have to have different heroes for different areas of our lives. Right. And you and I, and, and many others like us are trying to, be the type of people who can be role models in every area, right? But the truth is that they don't, that doesn't really exist, like, you know, on, on a large scale out there in the world for good Catholic young adults to look up to uh, older Catholic people who are crushing it physically, professionally, family wise, spiritually. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it's not really out okay. there. And so I think one of the issues is, especially this, this is definitely, especially for men, speaking from the male perspective, is you start to fall in love with your David Goggins and your Jocko Willink. And you know what I mean? And it's like, just go, man, just F it, just be, stay hard. You know what I mean? Like be tough. 
And it's like all that is necessary and good. But I also know that Jocko and David Goggins recommend that their friends go to counseling, you know, the friends Mm -hmm. who have PTSD and things like that. Like they don't say to just suck it up all the time and then off yourself in 10 years. You know what I mean? Like they truly encourage people to go seek the help they need, but not just them. You don't hear that stuff a lot, but then you also have people like Jordan Peterson, who I adore, you know what I mean? And really love. And that's what he does for a living is meets with men and women. You know what I mean? As a psychiatrist um, and, you know, and does cognitive therapy and like, that's, that's really powerful too. And so you have to kind of take and shape your whole worldview, not just from one or two people who are living a certain lifestyle might be very, very different from you and have very different backgrounds, but actually try to seek it out and figure out how can I take the good from each of these role models and these leaders and kind of have my board of directors, if you will, of like distant mentors who are forming me, but not go too extreme in the one area that I start to neglect, um, you know, the foundation, like you said, and allowing God to really shape me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that just paints the picture of what we are made for, which is community. Like we need others. Yeah. We can't, it can't just be, Oh, this is going to be me and God go to Genesis. The first, you know, one of the first things he says is man can't be alone. And that's, that's real. That echoes now. And it's, we need other people to walk with us in this, especially with healing. Cause you, in my, in my experience of entering into healing, like I cannot be honest with myself by myself because I only know a certain right. way. So I need a best friend who's going to love me with charity and, and call me out in places that I need to. I need a counselor who's going into the psychological parts and naming things for me. I need a spiritual director who knows my story and is like, yeah, allowing me to see how I'm projecting these things on the father. I need a community that's that I can lean on in these places that are going to hold me accountable, that are going to love me with charity. That's like a safe space. We need the actual safe space of, of being weak, of yeah. Being able to look these things in the face of struggling, of suffering or nothing's going to change. So yeah. And that's my, I mean, my heart does go out for like older crowds who like (laughs) that, that's maybe not as like accessible or even just like coming into like, young adult like it's like there's a lot maybe for college but i think there's a struggle overall in the church of like (laughs) the group of (laughs) like 20 25 to as old as you can get like (laughs) yeah no for sure there's like this subconscious block for a lot of a lot of older people that keeps them from actually seeking it out um and i think the one thing that i've really appreciated about emily too is she's she's somebody that like i'll be you know we have like an encounter or an argument or something with somebody else you know, where I like get frustrated and she was like, yeah, there's a lot of wounds there, I think. And like, she like always brings me back to that and helps me to remember that like mm-hmm. people are wounded. Cause I just like go in, you know what I mean? I just get worked <laughs> up and I'm ready to fight somebody. And she's like, yeah, there's a lot of wounds there. And she like, and I think that's really important uh, for men out there to like understand that. I think mm-hmm. women have a bigger eye for that, especially for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I have a good eye for when people are being irrational. Um, and Emily has a good eye for when wounds might be causing that irrationality. Right. And so um, yeah, so we make a good team in that, but yeah. And just how beautiful is it? You know, I, I like to, to, I'm your self-proclaimed long distance, best friend. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you're, <laughs> you're, uh, yes. <laughs> never met before best friend. Um, and how cool is it to have people like that too? You know, like how much we've been able to have just such great conversations, you know, phone calls, podcasts, and voice memos. And you know what I mean? <laughs> just texting each other with things that we're thinking about or praying about and praying for each other. Um, and yeah, so I think the community can come in a lot of different ways too. Uh, it doesn't always look, you know, like 
having 25 best friends in your, in your hometown or wherever you're living, you know, that you hang out with all the time. Right. Yeah. It's, it's all over and it's from so many different measures and aspects too. So it's like, you have to have those close people that you're able to, yeah, be secure in those relationships and trust. I think I've said this before, but it's like my friendships that I'm closest to are a Christ-like and they're centered on Christ B they're vulnerable and three, they're able to love me with charity and challenge me. The vulnerability part, we're not vulnerable unless we learn how to trust. The only way you come to trust someone is sharing weak and naked parts about yourself, like where you can, yeah, just be free in that. And those three things are just like, yeah, what, what, bring holiness and having those relationships and absolutely my favorite thing that you that you said so far today i think is when you just gave that list of three and went a b three um that was uh, <laughs> <I didn't even laughs> that, that was powerful that was really powerful stuff. Amy, you gotta, gotta keep you on your toes <laughs> you'll hear that on the playback yeah that was pretty funny uh, but no it was that was generally good i wanted to track from it but i just thought that was really hilarious <laughs> i tried to stifle my laughter in the moment to let you finish that's like a classic Aaron thing to do. If oh, I believe many it. people know that, so that's hilarious. Good love. <laughs> One more thing I want to hit on with the the building your life, the the example, the analogy there is, mm-hmm. uh, I think. One thing that you know you talk about, like laying the foundation and, and kind of hitting on the selfishness part of it again, is it can be really self focused because what people don't realize is when you are kind of, and I, I think that you know I've always wanted to write a book about how college is your best time to lay your foundation. I think for most people, if you go to college, because you do have the most amount of time, typically it can be, there can be exceptions. Obviously if you're an Alabama football player, or, you know, other D one athletes and things like that, you're not going to have the same experience, but the majority of college students are not. Um, and so the majority of us have a lot of time and you get the opportunity to figure out what you believe and where you stand on things and develop a relationship with God and develop a prayer life and to get involved and see where your heart is called to volunteer and all these other things. And people ignore that. And then they don't use their singleness in their twenties to do it. And then they go in and they start to have a family and you're building. It's, it's one thing to live. Like when I was living by myself, moving back from deployment, like I looked at some apartments in the hood because I wanted to save money. Right. When I was moving to Denver and I knew Emily was going to move into where I lived. I didn't look at apartments in the hood. Right. <laughs> and, and that's like, it, it's kind of common sense, but it's the same thing that we do with our lives. You know, it's like when it's just you, it, it might not seem as selfish to make these sacrifices and to say the foundation doesn't really matter, whatever. But what we mm. fail to inform young people about is that that foundation that you start to build your house, you don't get a new plot of land when you get married. It's the same mm. one. You're just building onto it, right? You're just building more rooms for your family, for your kids, for your grandchildren. And not just that. But also you kind of build your home office if you're somebody who's going to like lead an organization or be be influential there. You're building a community room for your community and the the groups that you run in. Every sphere of influence that you have is built onto this foundation that you've laid out. And if it's shit, it it shows, right? That's a good, Mm -hmm. good, if it's shit, it shows. I like that. (laughs) Um, It comes out over time, right? You know what I mean? Like you start to get exposed. Time will show. It's exactly what the Lord said. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And if you can avoid that and allow the Lord, the Lord can still go in, unlike actual builders, you know what I mean? Like God's miraculous. So he can go in, even if there's something built on there and start to, you know, reconstruct some stuff and actually reinforce it um, in ways that we can't uh, with actual earth. But (laughs) that's what I think people don't realize. You know, I think that's kind of a great analogy for like what Sarah Swafford calls the altar switch. 
of, mm-hmm. you know, you get married on your wedding day, you become the person you've always wanted to be. And it's like, no, dude, it's the same pot of land, you know, mm-hmm. so you might want to till it now and, and get it ready. Yeah. Yeah. And the, like the sooner we come to that realization, it, yeah, the better, because it's, you're going to have to address it at some point. You're right, going right. to have to, it's, there's only so much you can hold up or muster up or numb or cope with until those coping mechanisms just don't work anymore. The ways that you numb it with workaholism or perfectionism or alcohol or um, relationships, like whatever, fill in the blank. It's that it will not work anymore. And it's just like having, and I think, yeah, maybe there's places, I know there's places in my healing that I just didn't want to look at. I use, I use like surgeries as a prime example, but when when you, so I had ACL surgery, when you come out of ACL surgery, you get maybe like one day of your leg going straight and then they put you in this bending machine and your leg has to bend. <laughs> it's like, you really don't want to do that because it's painful. But if you don't do that, there's going to be scar tissue that starts building. And the worst yeah. case of that, is you have to go back in. So it's like going yeah. through the pain of that, at the beginning of letting your leg be moved so that it's not prolonging the pain. Same thing with getting the stitches out. It's like, I'm scared of blood and stitches. And it's like, no, no, don't open it. I'm, and it's like, no, but it's going to get infected if you don't take it out. And we're like, no, no, just let's just hold it like another week. And it's like, no, but if we don't do this in this right. step, it's, yeah. it's going to get worse. Bad and, news bears. Right. And it's, we often do that with the places in our lives that we're struggling with. And what makes it worse is when those places, whether relationships, our work, our career, uh, popular, whatever the, that blank is, gets affirmed oh it's even worse because it's like oh now i'm getting affirmed for the thing that is actually killing me so now i really don't know (laughs) like right and when that's unpacked i mean it's tough like it's hard to it takes a lot of courage and honesty to look that in the face right no absolutely yeah no it's so good and i know you're i mean you have plenty of surgery analogies because you get surgery like every (laughs) six to eight months right right. i've known track <laughs> you get surgery, yeah, like at least twice a year. You yep. know, you feel like you're falling behind in some capacity. That's hilarious. <laughs> I love it. Um, I remember, I, yeah, I, I leaned on you and, and asked you about that when I had my, I'm about four days away from my year anniversary of my one surgery. Wow, right you know, a year. That was fast. It was, right? Yeah. <laughs> a lot has happened. Um, and uh, yeah, it flew by, but yeah, crazy I year. Keep I keep making. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I keep making the joke that I have to get my surgeries in now before I get kicked off my parents' insurance. So (laughs) got to knock out what I need to do. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. You got to, you got to know the deadlines on those things, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Get it in while you can. That's hilarious. Yeah. I, uh, I want to do a podcast here soon on, on like lessons that I learned from the last year of, of going through it and recovery Mm -hmm. and things like that. Cause there's a lot. Teaches you a lot. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Praise the Lord Mm -hmm. uh, for the beauty that could come through suffering. Yes. Amen. Amen. It's great. But yeah, I love, so the next point you talked here about justification. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think justification is interesting because it can kind of come from both sides, right? So you can either justify, at least I'm not as bad as this person, or you can be hard on yourself. So that's kind of the easy on yourself, but then you can be too hard on yourself too. And be like, what you went through wasn't that bad. You know what I mean? Like it could have been this much worse. So you don't, you, if this person and other people are fine, like you should be fine. You shouldn't mm-hmm. seek help or even pray or ask God about it or anything, share it with mm-hmm. anybody, all of that, you know, it's a, it's a dangerous one. Cause it's a double-edged sword. It's exactly what you said. Like it's 
Satan just loves that of like, yeah. oh, relax. Like it, it wasn't that bad. You're crazy. Like you're what you're going through isn't that much. Or or yeah, it, it's the justification of, oh well, at least I at least I'm going to mass, but I'm late every single time I'm going. Or right. at least I don't dress like she does, but like or at least just whatever it is, we we can do so much and live in that hard denial and just be in the excesses and just be hurting ourselves even more. And I think the deeper of that is the net like fears. So there's so much fear under why we justify that is justification is a fruit of fear. So it's like, what is the fear of that? Um, and and, I mean, there's a laundry list of things of why we do that, but right. Yeah. A hundred percent. I've always loved the, uh, the, uh, saying that we are great, defense attorneys for ourselves and great judges for other people mm-hmm. you know and we love yeah we love to just justify and defend ourselves we can find any any excuse to right and that's something that i've seen a lot too with these adults that i've witnessed in my lifetime who have not treated their wounds they become great judges of other people mm-hmm. some of the great gossipers that i've known in my life um or the most easily frustrated with other people tend to be the people who I have identified and can tell that there's some serious ish going on behind the scenes that they have not taken care of. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I think that it's not a coincidence that those two things often ride together. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, and like paying attention to yourself speak because it's, I was t- totally in denial about like, Oh, I don't do this as I'm doing it. And it's like, yeah. Just, I mean, that really came to light being in a relationship and <laughs> very grateful for that, but just how easy it is to justify, how easy it is to, if you pay attention to my day to day and just how many times I use that, it's like, oh, wow, there's something underneath all that. Like, there's a reason I'm, I'm saying these things are like being an exception in some sense where it's just like, where is the denial coming from there? Like, what what is keeping me captive of like what shame what hurt what pain am i still because it is a numbing mechanism like justification is this numbing mechanism and i think all of our numbing mechanisms are at the root of that it's like misery and we often don't like looking our misery in the face but that's percent like sin and like our suffering and stuff is the access for jesus to our misery but it's like what we do with that because we're free to just keep you know protecting that or it's like we give this to you um, right. and that's difficult. Yeah. And I think, you know, with, with what you just said there too, of like, what's causing me to to act like this or what's causing me to feel this way. What I love about that. And what's really almost like this oxymoron in that is that you can almost be, uh, selfishly or self-focused. It's not selfish, um, but more self-focused in like your pursuit of healing, because you're like, I just don't want to feel like crap anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't like getting angry. And like, that's it's something that I've seen in, in family affairs with myself and friends and, you know, all types of different people that I've encountered is like, sometimes when you see somebody who just like lashes out, right? Like they just get really angry and they're a freak out person. It's like, that's that if you've ever done that, you know, that it's like not an enjoyable experience, right? Like one yeah. of the main reasons I left my house when I was 18 and went to college. And one of the main things I wanted to focus on was my anger anger in relationships, anger in friendships, anger towards my parents, whatever, because I was like yelling and all like, it's like, it's just not fun. You know, like in the moment you feel like, Oh, I'm getting it off my chest. Like you feel like you've, you know, you do feel a little bit better temporarily, but then afterwards you're like, I said things I shouldn't have, you know, like, I don't really like being that person. You know, that God's not pleased with that. Um, I forget there's, there's a great scripture quote about, um, 
like the anger of man does not bring forth the glory of God. I can't remember exactly how it goes. Mm. Um, but I just remember being really impacted by that when I read it. Um, maybe I'll, maybe I'll Google it and try to find it, but, um, I was just really moved by that. And, and even if you don't know, the scripture says that, like, it's not really complicated. Like anger is one of the, the seven deadly sins, you know what I mean? Like for mm-hmm. a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we don't realize that people don't want to be that way, you know? And so if you can, um, Emily talks about this sometimes, cause I share about like in love and respect, I think it is, or in four men or four women only like one relationship book talks about how a lot of times for men yelling is like the female equivalent of tears, you know, because like, I don't cry very often. And so like, when I start getting more stern or more frustrated, like, that's like my expression of like, I've been hurt, you know, by Emily or by somebody like, I just don't like, she cries. That's like her go-to. And Emily cries at like a, a, in a, uh, you know, a well-done commercial. We'll get Emily you know, at least tearing up. Um, so, <laughs> so you gotta be, you gotta be weary, you know what I mean? Of times and cautious of how you approach and address those tears because sometimes they come a little too quick, you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, but, uh, I digress into saying that basically, um, you know, you just have to recognize though, that like, even, even, you know, men who, who do lash out like that or women who lash out, like nobody enjoys that. And to actually take that and to try to respond, what I'm saying with the whole men and women thing is what Emily tries to put forth too. And what the book says is that like to try to respond to a man's anger with compassion rather than just more anger or more defensiveness or, mm-hmm. you know, cause like women that have the benefit of like their form of expressing their sadness or hurt with tears usually does trigger, uh, not always, but usually triggers more compassion than it does more anger mm-hmm. and men have the opposite. So whether it's a man or a woman, just treating both and addressing, you know, somebody doesn't want to be freaking out or cussing somebody out. Like, even strangers you see acting out, it's like, they don't want to be that way. If they knew there was another option, um, they might take it. They might not. But even if they choose not to, there's still sub- subconscious wounds and things like that that are keeping them from seeking out the healing and things that they need. And so it's either either ignorance or wounds that are typically keeping people wrapped up in vice and sin. Mm-hmm. Totally. And And our response to people's woundedness is so important. Probably even more because it's like, they're already suffering. Like there's an external response to something interior that's happening that they are suffering with. So like the way that we respond yeah. to that is crucial. Cause that's, and, and that's like, again, how things compound. Cause it's like, say, you know, your 10 year old self does something and, and yeah, your parent says, Oh, you're too emotional. You're too needy. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. You're right. And then you live your whole life like that. And then you're wondering again, it's like, you're wondering why, you're struggling with this at the age of 45 and it's, there is such a, I'm not learning too of like how to respond to people in those places and sensitivity without compromising truth, but like seriously showing compassion to that person. Um, yeah, I don't think people wake up and are like, let me just go be an ignorant, angry person. That's my goal, you know, or like, Yeah. yeah, let me just like, you know, do these drugs or do this coping mechanism or sleep with these amount of people like for fun. It's like those people, people understand they're not doing this for the fun of it. Yeah. (laughs) There's an inherent, it's not like an intentional plan, you know, I want to be miserable. Yeah. How can I maximize that? Yeah. Right. Right. And even if they don't see it, that doesn't mean that like we should not be looking at them with the gaze of Christ. And it's just, that is what changes people to like actually look at them and be like, Hey, I love mm. you. And I, and I actually see you. It's Samaritan woman. It's Jesus shows up there and he says, give me a drink. He doesn't yeah. say, man, you got a lot to work on. 
I'm going to sit here and heal it or whatever. He says, give me a drink. I want a drink of this place in your life. And it changed their whole life. (laughs) Right. And Jesus was a great example too of, of humanity in his humanity and of his neediness. You know, like he didn't go around just like, I mean, sure he did the fishes and the loaves, you know, but it's not like he did that for every meal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they were hungry. Like when you, you see, I mean, the chosen in season two, they did the little scene where the, um, uh, the apostles are like, like taking the grain, you know, on the Sabbath day and mm-hmm. they like freak out. Right. You know what I mean? The Pharisees are, are geeking out about it. And it's like, Jesus wasn't just like working miracles. Like he, he needed people. Like he needed, like he didn't just come up with the food himself. Even like the, the boy came with the fish and the loaves. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think we have to recognize that too. Like it is Christ-like in a certain sense. But one thing you hit on there, I want to ask about uh, how do you go about, and I'll, I'll give an example too, to give you a second to think about it, is how do you like strategically or intentionally be compassionate without compromising the truth? Mm-hmm. You know, because I love that you mentioned that there. And I think it's so important, obviously, right? Like you can't, because that's what people do. People go into one of two extremes. Either they let people walk all over them because they're just filled with compassion and they think they're very compassionate and selfless, but they're actually just letting people like, remain hard-headed or, or in vice or sin, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, or people have no compassion for others and they're like solely truth, you know, and it's like facts don't care about your feelings all the time, uh, which is not a great way to be in a relationship. And I don't think that even Ben Shapiro takes that home with him. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, I think, I think within the walls <laughs> of his home, he, you know, he cares about feelings and facts. I think he has to, um, or he probably wouldn't still be married. And so uh, I think it's really, it's really a difficult thing for people to think about of how do I, you know, show this compassion while also being truthful. And I think for me, one of the, the like practical tips that I think is really important is to always ask the follow-up question, always seek to actually strive to get to the root of the problem um, and not just uh, responding and trying to be right, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the mature person can take a, take the, the bird's eye view and step back and look at somebody who's freaking out and be like, why do you do that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what got you to being that angry? What, what is something that I might have done that got you this angry? Because I'm not going to have this conversation with you if you're yelling at me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But I do want to know if I've done something to hurt you that has caused you to lash out like this. Or what in your past or what in your life is going on right now that's got you this stressed out. Um, but just so you know, like at the same time, like going forward, like you're not like, we're not doing, like, I'm not doing this, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's been something that's really interesting. Emily and I talk about a lot is like, people have a lack of willingness and a lack of courage to stand up against bullies. And one thing I loved about my dad, even though we've had some issues at our time for sure. Uh, and I think there was some lack of self-awareness on this at times is he would always talk about how he hated bullies. Like he got bullied as a kid and he hated bullies Anytime I had any issues at school, like my dad was ready to fight everybody. Um, you know what I'm saying? And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think there was some, like I said, some self-awareness and stuff in there in certain situations that lacked, but it's something that I do have like very passionately within me and something that helped me to stand up against him at a certain point in my life. So we can't have the relationship that we have now to be like, I'm not going to get bullied into doing whatever anybody wants me to do. You know, and we mm-hmm. see people getting bullied by the left in politics and in social things and in the culture. You get bullied by secular people and secular workplaces to do things that are against your conscience. And at home, we get bullied by our families into going into career paths or to staying quiet or to just suffering wounds or getting yelled at. Um, and I, I chose to not tolerate that anymore in my life. And I'm like, there's no exception 
not in-laws, not my parents, not a friend's parents, not a boss. There's no exception <laughs> that's going to break that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I, I just said a lot of stuff, but what do you think? Like, how have you kind of grown in your, your ability to express, express both truth and, and charity and uh, compassion? Yes. I love that. And it's, I think you hit it. It's, it's seeking to understand. Well, for, yeah, seeking to understand and hear the fullness of the story. And I think that's something that I actively try to pursue. And what I, what I've experienced is like sitting and seriously looking the person in the face and not coming in with any type of agenda. They already know that they have this issue. They are like, in some capacity they do. And it's like being able to ask questions and point out the things that they're sharing. Like, yeah, it sounds like you're, this is a restless life. Like it sounds like you're really struggling there. And this coping mechanism isn't changing anything. Do you think it's changed things for the past 10 years? Do you think life is different? Do you think it's healthy? What you just said to me and just, and not in in tone. And I mean, everything matters. It's a very sensitive, like, for sure. Tone, and not like a coddling way. Like it's, it's a consoling way. Like Jesus does. He doesn't coddle us. Coddling would just be like, yeah, him again, going back on John six and being like, Oh, just kidding. I just want you the approval and let me, yes, my baby. Yeah, but right. it's, it's this consoling of like, he stayed true in his, what he said, but like, he's going to hear, he's going to hear you out and like, yeah, Jesus, this is really hard. <laughs> like, yeah. Or he's like, yeah, I know. And be able to see that. So it's, I think the difference between coddling and consoling and something that I think you're very good at, as I hear you speak and what we've, we've spoken about before, but is boundaries you have. And I think that's something I struggle with. It's something I'm coming into. I think often men, like in my relationship, my, my boyfriend, Connor, really good at boundaries and like knowing, awesome. um, knowing those places. And then I'm more on the other side of like, yeah, this compassionate understanding probably gets walked on more and learning. And it's like the integration. Yeah. We need both. We need both. Right. So, <laughs> and yeah, I think it it's more of a feminine heart on this side and masculine, definitely. but we need the complementarity. So yeah, I'd say boundaries is super important. You, you cannot console others in their healing and woundedness. If you first and foremost, do not do that for yourself. If you are not rooted in truth in your identity, this isn't a, again, a cliche thing. If you're not rooted in truth and identity in yourself, there's no way that you can be present truth and share truth and be honest with others. Um, if that's not living within you. So that is, I always have to come back to that when, you know, the enemy's attacking me through an altercation that I'm having with someone about their woundedness or like, yeah, things are being projected. There's like space to step back and be like, okay, I know who I am and I know what's true. I'm going to ask questions if I'm recognizing and reading the person that there's not really a dialogue that's happening right now, then that's a place of like removing myself and stepping back. But if it's like the mm. person's letting their walls down and you, and I, and I think you come to understand that, like if someone's letting their walls down, like being able to press more because you love them, um, right. it's going to look different with me meeting a student for the first time and not being like, what's your deepest, darkest wounds versus right. like, yeah. what's the worst thing you've friend? ever done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, recognizing the relationship too. Um, but yeah, the compassion of it is so important because often those people are getting ridiculed by others and themselves. I mean, people that like severely are struggling in healing or addiction or et cetera, it, there's self-hatred and self-sabotage and self-rejection happening 24 seven. So it's right. like, they desperately need someone to be like, you actually were made very good. 
and like your sins don't define you. And this addiction is not you. Like there's something underneath this that is crying out to be healed. There's a little boy, a little girl inside of you that is crying out for the adult version of you to console them in this place. There's a reality to that. This is like, we're not just humans. Right. There's a supernatural component. There's like, yeah, there's so much more happening within that. So yeah, I don't know if that really answered it. But. No, it was great. I think it was amazing. And I think one thing that you said that I really loved is just like, I think people don't, because we're not trained to like think critically and when people aren't trained in philosophy as much as stuff anymore, people don't realize the value of the Socratic method, which is, you know, the, the way that Plato wrote about philosopher Socrates and all of his conversations. If you go back and read them and I'm still kind of a nerd and sometimes I enjoy reading, uh, you know, I got my, my like Plato reader and like all my books from my <laughs> philosophy days. And I, I enjoy reading them because it's like Socrates was just so good. I mean, like, I can't explain to you how much that man changed my life when I would just like <laughs> witness him, like, you know, through the reading. Uh, and Dr. Mike Miller at, at Mount St. Mary's, who I loved, uh, taught us this, that he was just like so good at asking people questions that were somewhat leading, but were just genuine questions. And he, he wasn't, they weren't, they weren't leading in that they were like, just looking for a yes. You know what I mean? Like he, he, mm-hmm. cause I think that can be kind of manipulative at times. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's a good like sales technique, right? We always like want to <laughs> your buyer to say yes. So it's not, it's not, I don't think it's immoral to do that, but to ask open-ended questions like you, like you gave examples of and to really ask them and, and just go off of whatever those are. And it's kind of like playing chess, right? Like you're kind of leading somebody to like see and kind of like reveal to themselves is the way the best teachers teach, right? Is to mm-hmm. not just tell people what to think, you know, you tell people where to look, but not what to see. You're not telling people what to think, but how to think. And you're leading them on that journey of like exploration of the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really powerful. It's so important to do that. And it's, I, yeah, it's so important to do that. In my, in my spiritual direction, it's like he, my spiritual director is not telling me, oh, you should do this. You should do that. He's asking questions and he's entrusting me too in my own healing and like, being able to, yeah, make decisions for myself, but it's also guiding me. It's not like blind of like, oh yeah, do what you want. Like it's right. there's guidance in it. So I love that too. And it's, it's important for that as well. Cause it's like, we can become just like, so at least for me, I'm like, I'm really indecisive and I want everyone to make decisions for me, which most of my life people have made decisions for me and now right. I'm learning how to be decisive and live into these places so it's like yeah someone just tell me what to do and it's like it doesn't work like that like and we i mean we take that approach in our healing we take that approach in the faith we take it's like it doesn't work like that so i'm grateful for the people that step in there and are like hey boundary you got this and it's like okay (laughs) yeah absolutely i want to hit on the boundaries thing too and i love what you talked about you and connor and Emily and I are the exact same way where like, she's definitely more passive with people, which she's not like super passive, but um, like she was definitely like the fighter in her family, you know, to a certain extent mm-hmm. um, of the kids. Uh, and I love that about her, but I still notice that def- I mean, still definitely much more passive than I am, right? Like I am not <laughs> one to be afraid of conflict of, of in many forms, um, but not afraid of, con- especially verbal conflict, you know, or anything like that. Like I, I'm always of the like Jordan Peterson camp, whether it be in a relationship or work or whatever it is to like Jordan Peterson always says, have the damn fight, right? He's like, mm-hmm. it's better to have the fight and get it over with and to not, and just act like we talked about earlier, sweeping things under the rug and having resentment towards each other, et cetera. Um, but I do think it is, it's a very masculine role, right? Like when Emily and I, God willing, buy a house next year, like who's going to be the main person in charge of like security of the home? 
me, right? You. More, in, <laughs> more out in the world and things like that. And Luna, obviously. Um, and David, <laughs> your German shepherd. Um, but when we are, she's so fast asleep. It's so funny. She's like twitching. She's in that REM cycle right now. <laughs> but when we're out in public, like I want Emily to feel safe when she's with me, right? In a similar way, it is the father's, the husband's role, I think, you know, and I think church teaches us that you're the protector. That doesn't just mean physical protection. And I think a lot of men fail to recognize that, that you're the spiritual, emotional, everything. Like protection is a, all, all seven pillars, right? Like I'm supposed to protect my kids from falling into stupid shit like Marxism. I'm also supposed to protect my kids from being emotionally hurt, emotionally abused, or being physically abused or being manipulated by teachers at school, whatever it might be, right? Like I'm the protector of all their whole person, right? Um, the mm-hmm. same thing goes for Emily. And there's times, and especially as you're merging families and things like that, where you have to set those boundaries and you have to really defend those walls, right? Because there's mm-hmm. going to be, it could be cousins, it could be in-laws, it could be work, it could be clergy, it could, you know, it could be friends who want to tear down your walls and really get inside your little kingdom, which is just two people at the time. Uh, but you have to have those boundaries and protect against that. Similarly, the same thing as I just said today, you know, like I have friends who are coming over today. I thought they were coming over this evening. Um, even in like your, your kingdom as a man, you know, when you go into the, the I talk about uh, John Eldridge, who's a Protestant uh, author, talks about the phases of a man's life. And King is one of them. And part of that is defending your kingdom, like to, to block off and say, hey, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go to a coffee shop because I have to record a podcast today. Right. If I didn't have some type of boundaries around seeking excellence, I'm like, I'll cancel one of them later, but I can't cancel this and I can't cancel this. It would just never happen. You know, and I get frustrated with myself still when I don't uphold those boundaries as much as I should, because I'm still not I could be still even further ahead on the podcast and in my writing if I held my boundaries more, which is something we're all growing in. You have to have compassion and patience with yourself. But just understanding how important that is for every role, every good purpose, every good thing that you have is going to be attacked. And, and Satan will use other people, even people who love you, to try to tear down your walls and your boundaries in ways that will really detriment, be very detrimental to um, your, your life. But I, I've just seen it in so many friends where it's like their dad took their physical protection very seriously, but would not protect them against embarrassment or um, yeah. you know social suffering or uh, difficult situations or emotional abuse and things like that. And it's like, you're a coward. That's not it's not masculine. It's not virtuous. It's not holy. It's not St. Joseph-like. It's not, it's not Christ-like. It's, it's bad. Like it's just, you, you can be a very bad father, even if your kids physically survived and were fed and had a home to, to sleep in, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. And it's, it's the scripture verse that's coming to mind is wisdom is mightier than strength. Wisdom is mightier than strength. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, there's a totality of protection that you're talking about in these this masculine heart. And it's, I just love what you're saying. It's like, uh, the kingdom and like the men, like defending, you know, like the castle and protecting it. And like, what I pray with is like the garden within my heart. And it's like the Lord's building a fence right now. (laughs) And just like the boundaries within that, but it's boundaries create freedom. They would create freedom. And it's like, again, back to the top, like topic with it. It's like, if you don't have honesty within yourself, you can't create boundaries. You can't actually be true to boundaries either. It's going to be super painful. And that's, that's something I'm experiencing now because I come from having no boundaries. I don't know what boundaries are when I'm reading the boundaries book right now. It freaks me out. That's right. And it's, and it's a learning game with 
for as like, yeah, Connor is like very good in this place and it's given him a lot of freedom and it's, that's just a complementarity, but it gives there it's, it's just so necessary to have those and to learn, to learn how to stay true to boundaries in your life in all areas. Um, yeah, I just loved everything you said. And there's so much easier to set in the beginning of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Whether that be romantic, friendships, familial, you know what I mean? Like, and you have to know that. Um, and it's just it's so powerful when you know that from the beginning, because it's just so much easier if the first time somebody steps across, you know what I mean, steps out of line, you're like, dude, we don't we don't do that here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we're not gonna, we're not gonna tolerate that going forward. You have to have that. And, and you'll have people who don't have boundaries sometimes will try to talk you into no, just let it go. Or just, you know, just be passive with it. Like, it'll be fine. Like it was just once. And it's like, nah, dog, like we're going to have this fight. We're going to have this conversation. <laughs> Cause mm-hmm. it, should, it should happen again. You know what I mean? And I think as you start to develop them and you come a long way, you do start getting, when your boundaries have been devastated and your walls torn down and destroyed by other people, you, you, and you have to rebuild them. You know what I mean? By the grace of God and with God's help, like you get more protective of them. And you're like, mm-hmm. no, like I, I built like I, this means something to me and I'm going to defend this, but um, yeah. So I want to give you, obviously, if you have any last, last things to say, I know we just are reaching an hour now. Um, so I love <laughs> how much we have left to go through, uh, because we definitely have more podcasts in us. That's for sure. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, any, any last, any last comments or thoughts you want to share before we close? Yes. I, I would love to do a whole different podcast on boundaries in itself, but just, just in closing, um, I wanted to point on, make a point on, yeah, like setting up boundaries and people that don't have them of like, it's going to hurt. Like there's going to be pain in that. And it's yeah. for, for anyone who's listening to this and is entering into honesty with yourself and entering into healing, there's probably boundaries that you're going to have to set up. And there's going to be people that aren't going to like it. There's plenty of boundaries that the Lord made that Jesus made himself that people yeah. did not like. For and sure. it was not out of a place of anything except love. So it's like letting like, Again, letting the band-aid be ripped off then, letting that boundary be set and not go through the stumps of like, okay, okay, they were hurt. And then another step. And then, okay, I have to set a boundary and just hurting yourself more. Stay true to the boundary that you set. um, And freedom will come from that. It's a place of love. And for all those who are having boundaries set and it's pressing up against you because I used to be in the camp of boundaries are mean and they (laughs) don't do anything good. And how could I ever do that? Um, Surrendering that to the Lord, asking what's hurting there and like coming to the place of that person's intention and why they've set the boundary that they are. Cause it will free you too. whatever the Lord's willing in our life. He's willing in those around us. So yeah, Mm. I just say, I'd say that's the last words of boundaries and honesty. That's great. You're amazing. My friend, I really appreciate you coming on with me again today. Um, and look forward to doing more together in the future as always. Yes. Excited to do it. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, you're great. Well, thank you everybody for listening today. If this was helpful for you, please share it with a friend or somebody else you think might benefit from it. Um, want to encourage you to do that. And, uh, you can sign up for our newsletter where we recommend great books like boundaries, uh, that Aaron mentioned today and many other resources <laughs> that are helpful in um, just really seeking excellence in every area of your life and want to encourage you and, help to inspire you and equip you with the things you need to do that. And so that's the best way to stay in touch with us and to, uh, to follow along with everything and same with subscribing to the podcast and following us on social media and all that kind of good stuff. So thank you again for listening today. Continue to fight hard to be your best.